Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I'm struggling to understand why my faith doesn't calm me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I was hoping for a more relaxed conversation. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... Imperial Overstretch. And contingency management. Today we'll be talking about Andor. Do we talking about Andor, Dan? We yes. didn't expect to be talking about Andor. Uh, we, this was yes. We'll we'll explain why we're talking about this in a, in a few seconds. But uh, true. And after this next week, we will be doing the much promised Futurama episode uh, that our patrons have demanded, based on a few episodes that the patrons have suggested for us. And then we're jumping into Butler Vember. <laughs> That was perfect. <laughs> that was like, you sounded like a Spartan. That was, that was what I was going for. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you sounded yes. like a Spartan. So yep. Butler Vimber, for those who don't know, is uh, <laughs> a celebration of all things Gerard Butler. Yes. And we came up with it when we were talking about Reign of Fire, which if you haven't heard that episode, one of my favorite episodes. Oh, yes, we've, we've enjoyed it. And we enjoyed Gerard Butler in that movie, I would add. That's right. So we're going to do, it's also, it's G month, right? Yes. So it's Geostorm or... Geostorm! <laughs> I'll, I'll do the title. So first okay. is All Gods right. of Egypt. Then I believe we're doing Gamer. <laughs> then Geostorm. And then finally, Greenland. <laughs> Yes, so we're doing all of those for Butler Vember. And then it's Cold Sci-Fi Winter, where we're going to be doing stuff that's set in cold climates. Correct, although we might have to reluctantly do Avatar. Yeah, you're, you're, you're just like, I, I understand. I understand that we should do it. We have to I, be, I occasionally we have to be topical, Anna. I mean, you right. know, we, we, it's, I think it's pretty And then in the spring, should we last that long? <laughs> After March comes <laughs> Bapril. Bapril. I feel like I've said Bapril and like there needs to be like a guitar chord. Like <laughs> Bapril. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and that is going to be, gonna be our celebration of all things Michael Bay. Yes. Which will require us to watch a Transformers movie. At least one. Just maybe at two. least one. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe two. And also we will have to watch Armageddon. Yes, which is not a chore as far as I'm concerned. Not yeah. a chore. And you know what, Dan? What you know who wrote Armageddon? Oh, I think I do. I think Tony Gilroy played a role that is in correct. writing Armageddon. Yes. That is correct. Yes. His uh, filmography is quite interesting, and I look forward <laughs> to discuss discussing it. Uh, so if you've lasted this long with this conversation, you probably know that we have a Patreon page that you could help us out <laughs> at. <laughs> it is patreon.com slash space the nation. Become a patron, support the show. Also yeah. support the show by rating and reviewing us, mm -hmm. perhaps. Particularly if you some... like the show. If you don't like the show, you really can just, you know, go to another podcast. Yes. And yeah. maybe yeah. stop listening. I right. don't know. Don't yeah. torture yourself. Right. We don't, right? We don't encourage masochism on this podcast. Honestly. That's right. Yeah, I agree. We encourage pleasure. Yes. We encourage pleasure. <laughs> We're pro-pleasure. Yes. And if just listen to our Don't Worry Darling <laughs> episode. <laughs> you were going to go there, too. I, I was. Yes. <laughs> We're very pro-pleasure. And speaking of pleasure, there are things that you can enjoy if you're a patron, should you choose to join us. This is correct. Including? You get early access to the podcast episodes. Uh, you get access to our wonderful Discord with the array of different channels that it offers. In theory, I believe there is swag. And then there In is theory. Our, yeah, right. yeah. And you know, then there is our like, monthly AMAs. That's right. Uh, which occur monthly. Yes. <laughs> we don't have a date for this one yet. Yes. But... 
We do get one in every month. Right. We just don't have them on a schedule. Yeah. And also, you have kind of a more direct line to us mm-hmm. if you're a patron because we chime in on the Discord. But if you want to suggest something, give us a shout. You can also reach us via Twitter. I am at Anna Marie Cox. And I am at Dan Dresner. And Dan, before we get started, how are you? I am doing well, Anna, because it is like peak foliage season up in New England. And actually, over this weekend, we went to visit my daughter, who was in a program out in the Berkshires, and just the drive itself was wonderful. But also, it was lovely to see my daughter and, you know, see her doing well. And, and uh, you know, we went apple picking. We did we did such stereotypical New England things. It was just like, we belonged. You went apple picking. We went apple picking. It was, it was Hallmark movie level stereotypical. That's how amazing it was. Yes. What about you? How are you doing, Anna? Well, it's supposedly going to rain tomorrow here and not be 90 degrees. So things are things are improving. Okay, that's good. (laughs) In terms of the weather, which I feel so bad because during the during the winter, I'm all smug, right? Because it's only like 60. But yeah, yeah, it's a trade off. It's certainly a trade off. Mm -hmm. And I have decided to bite the bullet and um get my lawn resodded. This is fascinating to people, I'm sure, but uh, <laughs> I'm learning so much about home ownership, Dan. Yes. As a first-time home buyer here, my education has been not as quick as it should be. The, the learning, learning curve, curve is steep, is, the learning but it should have started is, yeah. a lot earlier. Well, these things happen. Because you know. I managed to kill my lawn. My foundation is like, whatever, it has problems. And, you know, I can't, I won't continue because that's not interesting. Although, maybe if someone on a favorite podcast of mine had complained about the, <laughs> what they had to learn being a homeowner, I would have <laughs> been cued in a little earlier. This has been but a public service message to all future homeowners listening to Space Nation. That is right. Study up on foundations. That is my number one piece of advice. <laughs> not foundation. Foundations, plural. That's right. That's right. <laughs> maybe that's why I hated that book so much. That could explain a lot, Anna. It could. Oh, I think we've made some real progress here. Okay, yeah. Let's get into something that we love, because we've had to talk about a couple of things that we enjoyed in a weird way, like Don't Worry Darling, Mm -hmm. and then something that we both, I think, slogged through. Just annoyed the uh, fuck out of us, Yes. (laughs) Again, if you haven't heard that episode and, and you enjoy hate reading or people talking about hate reading... You'll enjoy that's that episode. An, that's a good episode to, yeah. to do. But now we're going to be talking about Andor, which was a, a surprise for both of us. Yeah, so in terms of why we're doing this, I think it is safe to say that, frankly, Andor was not really on the radar of either Anna and I. We weren't all that eager to dip into the Star Wars universe again. In part, this is because, to be blunt, the last few shows, whether you're talking about Book of Boba Fett, which just sucked, or Obi-Wan Kenobi, which was okay-ish, they weren't that inspiring. And I had pretty much decided I wasn't going to watch Andor because when I heard about it, I confess, I was like, is this really necessary? Like, why are why are they going there? You know, and then I saw the trailers and the trailers at least suggested some promise. The trailers were intelligent. They, they suggested it a plot that was interesting, which is sort of the formation of the Rebel Alliance. And a lot and, of IR. And yes, there was a lot of IR in them. And, and there's a lot of IR in this show. <laughs> and the reviews were excellent. And. Damned if I started watching it, and it, they were right. There's no question about that. Well, as listeners know, I originally was interested in the show because I thought it would have Ewoks in it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot. 
Yes. They really need to do more differentiation in their naming schemes. Anna thought this was called Endor. <laughs> Let's just be very explicit. Anna thought this was about the Ewoks. And it took place on a forest moon. On a forest moon, yes. It, it, when I discovered it had Diego Luna, also fun to look at. Yeah. yeah also yeah. very cute, very adorable. Oh, yeah. Especially clean I was, I was less entranced by the t- trailers, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I've, like... You know, of course, I love Star Wars growing up. Like, I've dressed as Princess Leia multiple times for Halloween. Like, I went to see it in the theaters multiple times. Like, total nerd rite of passage stuff, right? Yeah. And then, you know, we had the prequels. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is a like I think I think we it's an underestimated as a Gen X collective experience the extent to which the prequels have changed our attitude about like. Hollywood One of our, like, yeah. our favorite co-podcasters, Jason Manzukis, yes. has done a rant about this that I really enjoyed, which is Ooh. like the crushing, like emotional and spiritual disappointment of going to see, you the know, Phantom what Menace. was yeah. Phantom Menace. Yeah, and, he's right. He's totally right. And it being so bad. It was a garbage prequel, Anna. Just terrible, terrible, terrible. And then also, like, I didn't even really like Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more recent ones have been worse. I, diverting in the theater i saw i've seen some i saw some of them in the theater and like, oh you mean the movies sorry i thought you were talking yeah, the about movies. Shows. Yes, yes, yes. yeah the movies yeah the more recent movies have been goodish no you know, like, well okay so like I, my take on this is, yes the force they're awakens well made unlike unlike the lucas prequels oh i i think the rise of skywalker is easily the worst film of the bunch actually that's, that's okay I, I mean I, well yeah. let's just pause it they're not good yeah okay that's fair Let's go on. And then the fandom has gotten just incredibly toxic. True, true. And I um, don't, I, this is not a thing that like I would never disassociate with something just based on toxic fandom, mm-hmm. but it did not make me excited for Andor. Yes. And like, you know, for example, one of the good things of Kenobi was Moses Ingram, who's, she gives a great performance in it. And like, for some reason, there was just fandom hatred. Oh, for some her. reason, Dan? Okay, fine. She's an African-American <laughs> woman. But, but the point being like, Yes, I grant you all that, but but despite all yeah, that, it, it, despite so, I think the reason I got interested again is you pointed out all the IR in it, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I did. We did Rogue One, and we both enjoyed Rogue One. Yes, and Rogue One suggests a different kind of Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. For one thing, everybody dies, <laughs> and. Yes. That kind of bleakness is missing from the Star Wars universe. Yes. <laughs> and not that you want everyone to die, but there's just there's stakes in a way that there hasn't been. Correct. You know. Yeah. And then I started watching it. I it had, had a few episodes go up. I know they dropped three. I, I think they dropped three in the in the opening. Four thing. by yeah. I, by the time I started watching right. it. And I was hooked on the first one. Yeah. And I'll talk about it more in a bit, but. I immediately was like, oh, this is this is different. This is going to be different. Different in a good way, I agree. And we're, we're gonna, and we're going to talk about why it, yeah. it, it is a good way. Dan, we have a segment we call Chekhov's What's It? Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you found here that occurs in the first act and you suspect or see that it'll come up in the third act. Yeah, so in this case, we are reviewing, to be very clear, the first oh, half yes, of Andor. We, very we are doing episodes yes. one through six. You, will, By the time listeners will get to this, I think episode seven will definitely have dropped. 
the point being which is really kind of two short movies by the way i agree yeah i actually think it's two 90 minute films is the way to think about the the first season uh, or the first half of the first season based on that i am guessing that Chekhov's little sister is what we're going to be dealing with which is cassian's little sister uh, we see on their home planet of Canari, and then he is sort of whisked away from Canari, not exactly against his will, but not exactly voluntarily either. We don't know what happens to that little sister. Indeed, his search for his sister is actually what kicks off the plot. I suspect I know who the sister is, but, you know, I underestimated... I, I don't want to underestimate Tony Gilroy. There might be a surprise or two there. Anna, what about you? I was just going to go with Chekhov's Kyber Crystal, at least for, like, <laughs> the second movie. As we're talking about, you know, episodes like four through six, that's yeah. definitely, I think, in there. Yeah. Um, but I agree. That was just me trying to find something like super concrete that we could say was a Chekhov's what's Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I, I called, I, I did the first Chekhov's thing. So, you know, you probably would have done that too. No, yeah, I probably would have done it too. And then like whatever, the navigator thing for the first movie, it would be the navigator thing that he stole. That'd be the Chekhov's thing. Oh, the star Although it doesn't disappear. Yes, yes. The star path so maybe that, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Let's get to the story behind the story, though, Anna. I am legit curious. How has Andor managed to avoid the Disney curse of Star Wars television properties? It is Tony Gilroy. Yeah. Like, that's purely him. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you, do you want to know the cool stuff about him that we'll love? Or do you want to know the stuff that is a little like, eh. uh, Dicey? It's not that bad. It's not super bad. It's okay. just... I confess, I, I will I will take both. Like, but I have to admit, I I'm getting. It's a little annoying whenever we have to do this and always have to. Like, no, say, no, no. It's not. It's not. It's you know, no cancellation. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Let's no let's cancellation it whatsoever. Okay. I'm Hit just, me with all of it then. His father was a novelist and playwright, and his first film was produced because of the family friend William Goldman. <laughs> oh, okay. Well. I'm shocked. It's shocked to hear that, that nepotism played a role in Hollywood. That's like... It's but so it was like yeah. to the degree to which it's yeah. like... Because there's this thing like he dropped out of Boston University. Because when you first start reading profiles of him, it's like, oh, you know, he bartended. He dropped out of Boston University to play in a band. Da, da, yeah. da. And then he started trying to support himself writing scripts. And then family friend William Goldman. <laughs> it's sort of... I don't know. I mean... Yeah. It... I would argue that based on his body of work, I mean, as you say, he was the screenwriter for Armageddon. He also obviously was the screenwriter for a lot of the Bourne films. Oh, he's talented. There's no question he's talented. Exactly. No question he's talented. I just, you know what it was? It was reading the profiles that all had the illusion of hard scrabble. (laughs) When in fact it was, oh, family friend, William Goldman. Very soft scrabble. Yeah. Soft scrabble, I would say. Fair enough. So he does have a really funny and interesting filmography mm-hmm. some of the stuff that i didn't realize okay. um his first produced screenplay was the cutting edge the the, <laughs> the ice skating, skating movie. film okay fair enough that's right yeah devil's advocate is uh, his okay. didn't realize that's one of my favorite good bad movies maybe okay. we should do that sometime it has Ooh. the devil in it it has a supernatural of, element that's true that yeah. Qualify. yeah um armageddon of course yeah. he also uh, wrote dolores claiborne oh i love uh, that film that is a great movie well, that's interesting you say that i've actually wavered on i've done uh you know i do a stephen king podcast yeah yeah yeah. listeners if you didn't already know i occasionally guest on a stephen king podcast (laughs) called the losers club and we did the book dolores claymore and i am not super enamored of the book but maybe maybe one of those one of those things that for one thing it could streamline it because one of the problems with the book is 
we might even have to as add a fan that. of Stephen King. Yeah, we might have to add that to the pile. Is all I'm going to say. Yeah, Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. oh, which is okay. um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal and good, although I don't know if I love it as much as some people do. Yeah. Uh, he's also responsible, however, also for the Great Wall. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. And as far as, so now we'll get into the stuff we really like. Yes. Oh, and of course, Dub, Michael Clayton. That yeah, is the yeah, thing yeah. that he's he's probably be- most known for. The yes. thing that if you had to have a spiritual ancestor to Andor. I would agree. That's the film It would watch. be Michael Clayton. Yeah. I, I, that is just, it is one of those things that might be a perfect movie in terms of <laughs> lack of wasted shots, yes. lack of wasted dialogue, Yeah. all that. It might be an incredibly economical Yes. One of the most economical films out there. And those are the kinds that I think I can say we both love. It's the alien of law firm films. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, that's right. So people probably know he was brought in to Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Not at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he's an uncredited director of secondary filming. And he also did almost a complete rewrite of the script Mm -hmm. and had arbitration to get his name on it but it was apparently very straightforward and dan this is not going to surprise you yes but the secret to his success when Uh people ask him Uh how is it that you managed to turn this around he's like well i'm not really a star wars fan that actually yes that that lack of attachment to canon might have been useful for him in terms of writing i have never been interested in star wars Mm -hmm. ever (laughs) <laughs> I had no reverence for it whatsoever. Uh-huh. I was unafraid about that. And they were in such a swamp. They were in so much terrible, terrible trouble <laughs> <laughs> that all you could do was improve their position. Uh, that, <laughs> is is a, that is a great <laughs> position to be in as a screenwriter. The yeah, this is, the, yeah, this is the what he found, this, the state of Rogue One when right. he came in. And at the time, people asked him, would you be interested in doing another Star Wars film? And the short answer was no. Yeah. It doesn't appeal to me. He said, mm-hmm. adding, but I don't think Rogue One really is a Star Wars movie. It's the Battle of Britain. Oh, uh, no. No, I'm sorry. I am going to disagree with Tony Gilroy there. I understand what he's going for, and I appreciate that, and I respect that. But Rogue One is very much a Star Wars film. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I appreciate his sort of almost disdain yeah. for the source material. <laughs> but let's be honest, like one of the pleasures of Rogue One is that it actually fits rather seamlessly into the overarching Well, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a movie that is a retcon, so yes, it has exactly. to, right? right? Right. So it's all, but he, this is also his secret to his success on yeah. Andor. Mm-hmm. There's a really good quote here about bringing people in. And he said that you ha- he's had to remind everyone that comes in that this is not a Star Wars production. Interesting. That, that they don't have to be reverent to the source material. Mm-hmm. And now, hold on a sec, because I need to find the quote that I really like here. Sure. Great quote about him saying, like, people coming in to do this thing. Okay, here, I'll just, right, here's the quote. Okay, got it. Right. In every department, we've had all kinds of people come in, and they know it's Star Wars, so they change their behavior. They change their attitude. They change their thing. Gilroy is in an interview with a Hollywood reporter. And you go, wait, no, do your thing. You're here because we want you to be real. So it's a testament to the power of Star Wars. It really gets into people's heads. <laughs> but to change the lanes and do it this way takes some effort. And then... Just a little bit of the backstory of it. There was actually going to be. This was one of the first uh, spinoffs announced when Disney oh. said they were going to do streaming Star Wars series. Okay, they had a bit of a troubled backstory. Uh-huh. 
I will say more about that perhaps when we're in the middle of it because there's some interesting oh okay cross interesting places where where the, its backstory and the plot point story we're converge. watching now yeah. intersect. Mm-hmm. But he, from the very beginning when they brought him in, he was like, "I'm going to do something different." Mm-hmm. Just so you know. <laughs> Like, this isn't going to be like your other stuff. And one of the big things was production design, Uh, which I noticed right away. I don't know if you did, but it's practical sets. Yeah, which is Uh, much better. They look much better. Yeah. All of the other Star Wars shows on Disney rely on VFX. They, I can't remember the name of the technique, but they're all whatever like CGI. whatever the be- best version of green screen is these yeah, days i'm yeah. sure it's not actually green screen anyway he wanted to do it all real mm-hmm. and they have uh and he has many reasons for that mostly having to do with the acting yeah uh, because if you do it in the way that it's all cgi you have to do that first and uh, then plug the actors in oh yeah and so he's he wanted to start with the acting, which I think just is his priorities. He does say that this got delayed because everyone's like, that's going to be super expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They have to, this they have sounds to, great. Basically yeah. the reception was, this sounds great. <laughs> it's going to cost a, a kajillion mint. dollars. Yeah. And we don't, I don't know about that. It's going to cost streaming. at least as much as the quad, you know, an Imperial sector's payroll. For that's the right. That's right. Know, yeah. And then streaming took off their star Wars stuff took off. So he got the, okay. He originally was going to do five, 12 episode seasons. Oh now they're God. only going to do two. I think okay. he, he got a blank check to do whatever he wanted. That's impressive. actually. And, yeah. And he hiring the actors, he did hire a production designer almost. That was uh, one of the first people he hired again. Like, I think he was thinking, Thinking a lot about the look and feel before anyone set foot on stage or a line was written. And the production designer is the production designer from Chernobyl. Ah, uh, excellent. Which I found interesting. It yeah. has a tone of Chernobyl to it, this this show does. It's a little bit of that. There's an industrial tone is the way, which is actually a, a, a theme that Star Wars by and large hasn't tackled. And when it has tackled, it's done so horribly, like the Geonosis planet and in that god-awful prequel. So yeah, Yeah. this is better. And he said also that was a kind of test for Disney Mm -hmm. when he brought in the Chernobyl guy, Mm -hmm. who's like so anti-Star Wars, not anti in feeling for it, but... Anti-CGI and yeah. yeah, Anti-CGI, it's completely different kind of aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And Disney okayed it. And so he was like, all right, I'm off to the races. Such an interesting example of someone getting to do whatever they wanted and not fucking it up. (laughs) Yes. It's nice to hear there's a story of directorial control and and it not going to excess. That's good. Although we still have a season One reason might be, though, that Mm -hmm. they did have the restriction of COVID. Hmm. Which kept him from directing some of the first season. Mm. And I wonder if we actually should be thankful for that little bit of an intervention that maybe... It's possible. Let me put it this way. I am very glad that we don't have shaky cam in Star Wars. I'm not sure that really is a good combination. But also, I, I have to wonder if that led to a lot of more outside shooting, which is good because the the landscape, as you say, is one of the best parts of the... is a strength of the show. Yeah, I mean, you'll be shocked. They they filmed in Scotland, right? Yeah, like it's. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, that was. That, <laughs> I'm not shocked. Actually, I swear to God, as God is my witness, at one point they were watching. They were they were trekking somewhere. I was like, oh, okay, so this is all Donnie. Oh my God, wait, is that from Highlander? You know, like that was what I thought at one point. Yeah, this is one of those times where if you have not already watched this, dear listener. Oh yeah. Stop listening. Watch the show. 
at least Go the watch first six it. episodes. But shall we get to the plot, Anna? We should. All right, let's start with Act 1, A Regrettable Misadventure. So, five years before the Battle of Scarif, Cassian Andor is not part of the Rebel Alliance. He's just a guy looking for his sister. He travels to the industrial planet of Morlana 1 to find her, goes to a brothel. She's not there, but two corporate security officers from the Preox Morlana, aka Premor, authority are. They try to shake him down, and he kills them, just real quick. Oops. Andor returns to the planet Ferex to prepare to get the heck out of there once he sells some sweet contraband to his contact Bix's main buyer. While the head of Primor Security wants to bury the incident, his lieutenant Cyril Karn decides to put out the Star Wars equivalent of an APB. Bix contacts her buyer, who decides to show up in person. Bix's boy toy Tim, however, grows jealous of Cassian's furtive conversations with Bix. Seeing the APB, he decides to alert Primor. Still in charge, Cyril assembles a squad and heads to Ferex to arrest Andor. The droid B2EMO informs Cassian. Um, come on, it's B2EMO. Okay, sorry. The droid. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, maybe it's not supposed to be, but. No, it's clearly. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, B2EMO <laughs> informs Cassian and his surrogate mother, Marva, of the warrant. Cassian prepares to flee after meeting with Bix's buyer. Anna, when did you begin to suspect Andor might be legitimately good? I think for me, it was the scene between Cyril and his superior, who's uh, Chief Hine, and is played by a character actor named Rupert Vansittart, who some might remember from Game of Thrones, but for me will always be George the Boar, the guy who tried to hit on Annie McDowell from Four Weddings and a Funeral. I loved that scene, and I loved his sort of tired, world-weary description of what actually happened. That was the moment that I was sold. What about you? I think I started right away to realize it was going to be different. The production design, it's where Tony Gilroy started and you yeah. feel it right away. It, mm -hmm. It's the practical sets. Mm -hmm. It's the way that it's gritty without being kind of unpretentiously Audrey. gritty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts at a brothel. Right, which is, I think, a first like, in that's the Star the Wars universe. Almost yeah. the first scene in the movie, which yeah. is like, we're we're not going to be Disney. <laughs> like, no, it actually, it, it literally, that first scene, I was like, oh, this is Blade Runner 3. Okay, I get it. You know, like, that's right. how it felt. Yeah. And then uh, there's the great dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, starts right away with oh, yeah. uh, my a great line from a character that disappears. Yes. One of the security officers. That's a hard look for a little thing like you, mm -hmm. which is a great kind of hard-boiled. Yeah know line it's a noir and then line, yeah. dan he just fucking shoots them <laughs> well to be fair that is entirely consistent with how he behaves in rogue one too so yeah. yes but yeah. he just shoots i mean it's it's one of those things it's almost like i mean the compare i guess indiana jones and in the bullwhip yeah. duel yeah. sort of mm -hmm. except that this is he's an anti-hero for sure mm -hmm. right yeah. like we already know him to be a little cold again from rogue one oh yeah but the other thing about this situation is that we, we don't know his backstory from Rogue One, right? We don't know right. how he got to be the person he, that he is there. Yeah. But what it tells us is he's been kind of ruthless since the beginning. Agreed. And yes. we understand now that that's because he had, he seems to have raised himself, like his backstory, you know, is, is that of someone who didn't have a lot of parenting, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and pretty had to take care of himself so i don't know when he just shoots him i didn't i mean I, I i guess i wasn't like completely shocked no that was entirely on character for him and, and but it, yeah. it makes a statement for what kind of show it's going to be that's true if you don't like the first like half hour of this 
of this series, there's there's no point in watching any further because that's pretty much it sets the tone for the entire show. Yeah. Fair. All right, let's move on to Act Two: The Ultimate Ferrex Gouge. Cassian heads to a derelict factory at the outer edge of the city to meet Luthen, who is Bix's contact. At the same time, Primor's corporate security shows up at Marva's. They overhear Cassian on the comms and trace his location. The Ferrex townfolk, not happy with the blues of Primor security, start signaling to everyone that corporate security is afoot. Almost everyone vacates the streets. Bix, realizing that Tim has betrayed her confidence, tries to warn Cassian, but Primor security stops her. Tim tries to intervene, but is shot dead by one of the inexperienced blues. Luthen meets Andor, and it's soon clear that he's less interested in the Imperial Star Path unit than in Andor himself, as a possible asset for the Rebel Alliance. The Blues show up, but Luthen had booby-trapped the doors, and they were able to evade the team surrounding the factory, disarm Cyril, and escape the planet on Luthen's ship. Doesn't sound like this will be good for Cyril's career. Anna, despite what Tony Gilroy says, there is one constant in all Star Wars you know, television shows and films, and that is that I think the droids are the dogs of this galaxy, in that they're almost always really cute and super loyal. So, did B2 Emo work for you? Also, what did you think of Cassian's backstory as a child on Canari? Because we, we also get exposed to that in the first two episodes, and then it kind of drops out after that. So, Dan. Yes. In some alternate universe, mm -hmm. the Andor spinoff show airing on Disney is a spy series about the adventures of Cassian and K2SO, the droid from Rogue One. Yes. Helmed by the creator of the Americans. Oh, my God. Joe Weisberg? Steve Schiff. Oh, okay. Uh, Joe Weisberg is the uh, other co-creator, but okay. That, yeah. that, that's amazing. All right. And I prefer this universe. <laughs> I, I, I'm a fan of the Americans, so I think I I I I, I, I don't I, I kind of want to visit idea that other of like the, but yes. the I don't I mean I probably would like it if I actually saw it. Yeah. The but the adventures, sort of the witty banter between Cassian and K two S O. That sounds like, more mad. Where, yeah, that no, it sounds like more like madcap like comedy than than what this is, which is really good. Yes, right. And I think it would not have been anything new, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like that's this fair. is pretty fucking original yes and, and i think that's in some ways the bigger surprise because like you're you're hearing oh it's a it's a you know prequel to rogue one and the focuses on casting andor and i'm not gonna lie when i first heard that i'm like why are you doing that i don't think i'm necessarily gonna be all that intrigued and it's intriguing and i wonder if actually the original idea was they were very interested in k2so mm. because he, that is a character alan tudyk he did a great job did a great job and also was not originally much part of the uh, part of the script yeah. and was brought in they brought more of him in after audience audience test screenings really responded to him the audience was not and, wrong there <laughs> not wrong yeah. but i this is not a hysterically funny show like there's some yeah. good lines in it I just think the tone of it would have been real, real different. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. And also, like... And go ahead, sorry. It would have... And the tone of it would have been something we see. It would have been a buddy comedy. Yeah, Buddy exactly. cop movie, yes. basically. Look right? this way. The thing I loved about B2 Emo was the stutter. That was just fucking genius. Um, yes. And it demonstrates, like, you know, that, yes, this is a droid. We're in the Star Wars universe. But even the droid was different than what we had seen before. And I, I found that incredibly refreshing. I wonder if the B2 Emo uh -huh. name is actually a little dig at the droid's past. <laughs> <laughs> An acknowledgement of like the weird emotional support droid. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Of, of like that we'd seen in like Solo and also Rogue One. Yes, that actually might right. make some sense. 
So B two emo is is more clearly an emotional support droid, right? Yes. That's good. I like uh, that. As far as the Canary backstory, mm-hmm. I'm not super into it right now. I, I let me this way. I hope we don't hear more about it. Like I agree, it's not the. It was perfectly functional, and again, the the only interesting thing about it, I think, was the idea that there was an abandoned planet, and it turned out there were survivors, and yeah. it was an industrial accident. So like that, totally you know, is kind of interesting. And also the idea that they're all kids. Yes. That I like too. Yes. It, it, it seems to be that the adults are missing from this planet. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they're the ones that mo- are mostly missing. Wait, but this way, I and, will say, oh, go ahead. And that, you know, I, I mean, I like the idea of these kids raising them on raising themselves and that would give us more insight into Cassian's personality and the way he thinks about stuff but we don't do we need to know that much more I, think I mean the, I don't know is the sister a MacGuffin so like, the only thing I do want to see a little bit more is how Cassian reacts to the fact that Marva has taken him because I would imagine that yeah. should be a little more traumatic than perhaps whatever we've seen so far and I understand why Marva did what she did but you know Maybe a little more on that part of the backstory, which isn't on Canari, which I think would be good. So that's I agree. That is, I am interested in that. I am less interested in Canari. I feel a little bit also like they pulled the rug out from under me because that is how the series starts, and then it's kind of never mentioned again. Yeah. Like, well, we'll see. There's, we've got six more. Yes, we shall see. We shall see. All right, let's move on to Act Three: The Guns of Navarone in Space. So, Luthen takes Cassian to the planet Aldani, asking him to join a shorthanded rebel group there for a ton of credits. Cassian reluctantly agrees, and Luthen gives him a crystal for a down payment. Team leader Val is less than thrilled with this late addition, but Luthen basically tells her that it's that or nothing. Cassian meets the team and learns the plan. They're going to steal the payroll of an entire Imperial sector from a key supply hub. They will take advantage of a rare astronomical phenomenon in Aldani's sky to escape. The team... Idealistic manifesto writer Nemec, strong silent type Sinta, former stormtrooper Tamarin, and hothead Skeen treat Cassian warily. Confronted by Skeen, Cassian admits that he's getting paid for the job. After a lot of yelling, everyone still decides to proceed with the plan. Meanwhile, on Coruscant, the fallout from Ferrix continues. Cyril Karn is fired by Primor as the Empire takes over security on Ferrix. He has no choice but to move back in with his domineering mom, who uses family connections to get him a job interview. Luthen, whose cover is an antiques dealer, meets with Senator Mon Mothma, who worries about the bigger risks they are taking. Mothma's rebel activities are estranging her from her family. Meanwhile, there's infighting in the Imperial Security Bureau. Ambitious bias... <laughs> Which one doesn't think would be that interesting. When you say the words, there's infighting in the Imperial Security Bureau, it doesn't lend itself to, like, prestige TV at first glance. Yes, but I think they handle it really well. So ambitious ISB Lieutenant Dedra Miro wants access and authority... <laughs> Over the Ferrickson, it seems. I bet she has ISP. She's very tense. (laughs) But she gets shut down by... IBS, sorry. I bet she has IBS. When I heard that. I know. Sorry. But she gets shut down by ISB's supervisor, Blevin. Miro concludes that the rebels are conducting a coordinated series of heists of Imperial tech and weaponry. On one of the most obvious ways Andor stands out pretty much from all Star Wars content made in this century is the writing. It is just so goddamn good and economical. What was your favorite line? Dan, yes. I have more of a comment than a question. No, okay, uh, fair <laughs> I'm going to disagree with your premise. Okay. Which is, I don't think 
what makes this show good is the one-liners. No, I, I, it's the writing. I, I have, it's but, the yeah. dialogue, yes, right? that's right. Because, like, one-liners are pretty easy, and Star Wars has a ton of them. That's true. Right? Yeah. You're a little short for a stormtrooper. <laughs> being one of the most famous. Laugh oh, yes. it up, fuzzball. Yes. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, we could probably both do this for a while. Oh, yeah, we could. That could be uh, the entire rest of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but what other Star Wars properties don't have is relationships that are sustained by dialogue yes that's extend beyond just a witty repartee right right and certainly beginning with the prequels that's uh yeah that's definitely true exactly and i would say sort of in that category of dialogue that is really great and forwards along both the action and the characters Mm -hmm. everything between luthan and cassian is great yes particularly from luthan i Mm -hmm. i would say yes (laughs) that's true (laughs) he's uh, the more mature you know, one of the two so that kind that's of makes right sense. like yes. you know cassian's like I, I came here to save my skin and luthan says uh, and here you are with your skin <laughs> <laughs> and you know he, he comments like cassian is is overwhelmed by the light drive hyper light drive in the very small vehicle they're in and mm-hmm. it's, it's been a day full of surprises for everyone then those are sort of one-liners but they're in the context of a relationship right i agree right yeah. That's what makes them. And then, of course, there's Cyril and his mom, mm-hmm. which there are some good one-liners, but again, it's in the context of the relationship, right? Yeah. Like, when she tells him to sit up straight and <laughs> says, when you slouch, you might as well be wearing a sign that says, I promise to disappoint you. <laughs> I'm curious. Like, Cyril Card is clearly set up to be the bad guy in, in for a lot of this, but, like, I love those scenes because it was suddenly like, oh, okay, I identify with them a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then he has a good line to her when she was like, I bet this and I bet that. And, like, she's <laughs> sort of shining down and, he, and he's like, I had forgotten the precision of your predictive powers. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. There's maybe five minutes of actual screen time, I think, between the two of them. Maybe, you know, a little more. And yet you you understand both their relationship and why Cyril is who he is, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah, and that's perfect. Pretty much every line is a gym, but the lines can't exist without each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So then I would say also Cassian and Skeen have some great dialogue together. I actually like Cassian and Nemec. I think Cassian and Skeen also have good dialogue. Yes, but- Nimic, of course, is one of my favorite characters. And Nimic is a legitimately, like, interesting character in that we've never seen someone like that in the Star Wars universe. And I did, like, it's someone that is simultaneously a character that you would recognize here on planet Earth, but, like, it fits surprisingly well within the Star Wars universe. So, again, pl- props to Gilroy on that. And then there's some stuff that is actually just the actors doing mm-hmm. things that are more subtle than most Star Wars movies. Yeah. And I would say Stellan Skarsgård is yeah. oh, well. the one who's really standing out here. I mean, everyone's great, and yeah. they all get to do subtle work. Mm-hmm. It's been remarked on by everyone, but that scene where he transforms from one Luthan to the other Luthan. Where he smiles. Yes, I love that. That was great. No yeah. dialogue. Yeah. And he just completely... It's watched, It's watched. You're watching an actor work. Right. It is... It is, it's like he puts on a mask, yeah. which is his in, whole body. Right, and right? it's entirely fitting with his character and so forth. It was, it was a And then Skeen is played by Ebon Moss Backrock, okay. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, 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 I pronounce that name, uh, forgive me. Mm-hmm. And he, was, of course, was recently in The Bear, which is ah. the very sexy backstage of a restaurant <laughs> <laughs> show on Hulu. Which turned the words yes, chef, into bedroom talk. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, that sounds very weird. If you have seen it, you know exactly what I mean. Uh, it is a very good show. I um, highly recommend it. And he is very, very good in that as well. 
so I just that's my time to like just props to the dialogue doesn't do anything if unless you have actors doing it. Sure. Um, I think Cyril's blanking on the actor's name, but the guy who plays C- Cyril actually is doing a really interesting and subtle stuff there. Yes, know, and I, like, again credit to him because it could have been like an easy villainous character and what's interesting again is is what you know again we're only seeing little bits of him particularly in the second half of the first season but it's enough so that you actually get a much better sense of his character and you actually also identify with him a little bit which is surprising and I wasn't expecting not as not subtle but yeah. i really enjoyed uh-huh. uh, is the is mosque the guy he gets to come along oh yeah the, the, the sort of like you know the nco who like tries to go on the raid who's like got uh, the best who accent i in the world. saw described as dwight schrute in space which <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> I don't. I actually don't think that's fair. I think he's a little more confident than that. But yes, yes. Well, he, and also, I mean, attitude. actually, I don't think it's fair because Dwight Schrute is a full character, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, and this guy only. Well, if you've seen this, you understand why people would say that. Yeah. It's a funny comparison. It it doesn't really stand up to right. a ton of scrutiny, but, but scrutiny, I like it. What it what it points to is that a lot of there are a lot of characters in this show, and it is genuinely impressive how most of them have at least two, if not three dimensions. Like, you know, they've got multiple dimensions. And it's... Again, There's something like 200 speaking parts. Yeah, it's a credit to the combination of the writing and the acting. And it's, it's just And they well cast all of those people with care. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right, let's move on to the final act. See, this is why the Empire should have converted to crypto. So, as the Imperial commanders trash-talk the intelligence of the remaining Donnie population, uh, the Rebel team launches their plan to heist the payroll. Cassian, Skeen, Nemec, and... Tamarin disguise themselves as Imperial soldiers under the command of Gorn. Vel and Sinta disable comms and infiltrate the structure. It largely works according to plan until Corporal Kimsey, noting that the comms are down and overhearing a scrap of the rebel teams talking to each other, has his squad moved down to the landing bay. A firefight ensues, during which Gorn and Tamarin are killed and Sinta is left behind. Cassian, Skeen, Vel, and Nemec escape from Aldani, but Nemec is wounded during takeoff when a pallet of very heavy payroll crushes his spine. They land on another planet to treat Nemec's injuries, but he doesn't make it. While Vel is occupied with Nemec, Skeen proposes to Cassian that they actually split the payroll and leave Vel behind. Cassian decides to make a different choice and kills Skeen. Blaster drawn, he tells Vel about Skeen's plans and informs her that he is taking what Luthen promised him from the payroll, and he gives back the crystal that Luthen gave him. Anna, the payroll heist makes waves back on Coruscant, which raises the obvious question, how do you think the rest of the season will play out? think we're going to see more of Mon Matha for sure. Yes, which we, I have no problem with. Because again, that's another one where like, we only see just a few glimpses of her home life. And I love every scene of that. Yeah. And and I more Luthen, more Luthen, more Luthen. <laughs> yes. It, it's such a pleasure to watch Stellan Skarsgård do what he does. Yes. And I think also Corsican has also been a place that I've always been curious about mm-hmm. in the depth of it right. that has not been shown, right? In no, and so like, Star Wars. this is, again, an example where, in fact, Tony Gilroy is telling a Star Wars story, but he's doing it in a, just a better way. It's a deeper exploration of what is was originally a legitimately intriguing idea, which is the capital planet, which is just all urban. And, like, that's in, that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting and in how it all works. Right, and, exactly. like, and the classes there yeah. also. Because the, yeah. the, the, Mamata is fucking loaded. Oh, yeah, clearly. Right? Yeah. Like, that's what they, they show us. And I'm interested, very interested, mm-hmm. <laughs> In what her turn is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is she is it? What is she doing supporting the Rebel Alliance? Like, she's giving all this money away. Yeah. And how did that 
happen? Where does what's her backstory? True. So looking forward yeah. to that because mm-hmm. she winds up sacrificing everything, including her family. It seems we will find out. Yes. Yeah. I would like to say, as good as Ebon Moss Bachrak is, mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about that turn. Yeah. So that was one of those things that in the moment I was like, "Whoa!" I was not expecting this, but like the the skiing turn, I think in the end doesn't actually make as much sense. It was a, a question of... We needed more hints. We needed more hints of that. Also, what doesn't entirely make sense is that Val would totally buy Cassian's version of events. That shouldn't have happened. Because if you think about it, Skeen, you know, Val had known Skeen for quite some time. They'd been training there for, like, months. Cassian comes in at the last minute, is clearly a mercenary, and then suddenly he draws a gun and says, oh, yeah, this guy was, like, totally going to turn on you. You know, and admittedly, he gives the crystal back and says he's just taking a shuttle. So that might have been the sort of signal that he was being credible. But still, like, it, it's, you know, the fact that the mercenary is the one who does the double cross. Yeah. I agree. We need just a little bit more. Right. Um, and part of it is actually that uh, Moss Backrack is a, such a good actor mm-hmm. that his when he tells his story about his brother that put stones in his pockets right. and committed suicide. It was a good story. Like, you know, yeah. it's, you believe him. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, no, that was a lie. It is a really difficult thing for an actor to pull off mm-hmm. when they have to play another character within a character, right? right. And it's hard to do well in the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. And they didn't give him enough no, I agree. in this scenario and they had to time. Like, like, these show are... us that there's there's some, there's some tension there that he may not be exactly who he seems. And, and that's hard to do subtly, too. Right. You know, but this is where, like, interestingly enough, side of just not doing it. I mean, the shows are not that long. I think each of the episodes is maybe like 35, 40 minutes. Yeah, they they had time to, to do that. And I agree that I think that would have been better. So, yeah, the yeah. show is not perfect, but it's really, really good. It's really good. And the acting isn't wasted. Uh, I, I think the team there is there. Some of that team has barely any speaking parts and they're still great. Yeah. You know, you still yeah. get the entire story. Oh, I, Sinta. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. N- Nimic is oh, an yeah. amazing character. I was very sad to see him go. R.I.P. Nimic. <laughs> I, I, I was actually sad. And I, I have to get, this is a nice small touch. I like that he died because of an accident. In the sense of, like, very often in firefights, you're assuming, oh, everyone's going to die because of, you know, intentional, you know, someone shooting someone else. It's entirely possible that people die in battle from accidents like that and so that was actually i will say incredible. something i didn't notice but i watch recap sh- shows on youtube now mm-hmm. which is something i i i didn't think that was something i had in my future at 50 <laughs> which is to to watch youtube channels that are devoted to like recapping and yes. analyzing various tv shows but mm-hmm. i watch new rock stars is my favorite mm-hmm. of those and they pointed out yeah. that uh, Eric Voss, who's their lead Star Wars person, actually, mm-hmm. to give credit where credit is due, pointed out that there are a few hints about skiing turning. And oh, one okay. of them is that he doesn't cover them in the firefight. Oh, okay. That's Which I didn't notice. And that's super subtle. Yeah, no, that is subtle. Yes. But it's true. Like, they show the scene. and You don't see him firing. It, that's true, now that I think about it. Because it's Nemec so who, s- who takes care of Cassian's attacker. That's true. Yeah. Right. And uh, Tamron also. Yeah. yeah like yeah. it's shot because uh, you and they I remember the scene of him standing there with the gun. And I, and I almost remember thinking that's a weird like cut into the into the action. Yeah. Because yeah. he's not sh- shooting. And then right. now I'm like, oh, he's not shooting. Right, that's why exactly. they're showing it to us. He's yeah. not shooting. <laughs> so on the other hand, like I, I can't let this go. I understand why he did it. But like, to be fair, Skeen is also the one who insists that they actually go to the planet with the doctor to try to take care of Nemec. Now, I'm assuming I, he did that to try to facilitate his own escape. 
but still, yeah, there you go. Yes, that's uh, I. I think that's that not that much of a mystery. Yeah, but it also shows a level of planning. Right. That, I don't know. It's it it. it, it <laughs> It is weird. It's such a risky thing, too, right? Yeah. Like, that's the other... The, maybe the thing in, that is the hardest to swallow is the amount of dedication it would take to pull off this heist. Yeah, I mean, this is, like, months. Knowing of, that it's virtually a suicide run. Right, I would say, this seems like... Yeah, like, I, I'm not sure I would have agreed to have done this, thinking, oh, I'm going to be rich at the end of it, giving the odds of actually succeeding. So, I yeah, that was not entirely... It, it was a slightly discordant if, note. Yeah. You'll note most of the people participating in Cassian stands out because he's doing it for the money. Right. Although, really, is he doing it for the money? We don't know. Eh, he's really doing um, it for the money, but yeah. Well, yeah. yes and no. Yes, that's true. Like he's not disagreeing he, with the purpose. That's that. He's not disagreeing with the purpose of right. it, and it's a crack in his armor. Fair as enough. it were. Yes. Right? Okay. Most of them have personal reasons to be there. The former stormtrooper, Senta, mm-hmm. right? Like. I would say that you would think, and also when Skeen gives us his reasons, it's a really good reason. And you, and you, when you get like why someone would be there for months, right? Planning this incredibly high stakes mission. Speaking of which, I and, thought calling Tamron the former stormtrooper was like again like a, a little tweak of the other Star Wars because that's uh, John Boyega's character in, in the most recent trilogy. Like it's a really interesting aspect of him. It's almost like entirely un, un. Yeah, it's unexplored, but yeah. I, I I appreciated it. I, yeah. Because, you know, perhaps we'll talk about this more in the next session, section, go. but, yeah. you know, evil empires are hard to maintain. That's fair. Yes. And one of the reasons they're hard to maintain, I understand. I listen to this podcast, everyone, or I listen to certain this guy mm-hmm. on a podcast <laughs> who talks about IR and, like, diplomacy and, you know, how bureaucracies and governments fail and don't fail. And my understanding, Dan. Yes, Anna. Is that. It is hard to uh, have administrative hold over a ton of people if you're doing evil shit, especially. <laughs> yes. That, that. Am I wrong? Did no, I, learn, did I learn something? It's a little hard. Yeah, it's a little difficult. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I learned it from you, Dad. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. I learned it from you. Fair enough. And speaking of learning, yes, Dan. Anna. Yes, Anna? Is there IR in this show? <laughs> Anna, my first dissertation topic was the role of mercenaries in the struggle for galactic freedom. Uh, so I can tell you for certain that there is IR in this show. Dan? Yes, Anna? I have to stop you for a second. Okay. When I read this in our script, mm-hmm. part of me was like, really? <laughs> 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 I had this moment of being like, huh, wow, I didn't know that about Dan. Oh, God. <laughs> You didn't know I was referencing Nemec's manifesto. Okay. It just didn't. It's been like, I've. it's been a while since I watched the show. I've been yeah. doing a ton of stuff since then. Mm-hmm. And it, it has, it sounds just enough like a dissertation. It really does sound like a dissertation title. Well, the moment I saw that, I was like, oh, I, I know where I'm going to use that line. I mean, yes. galactic, maybe not. But then yeah. part of me, I mean, it didn't, this thought did not last very long. Like, <laughs> but it, I, for a moment, was like, wow, Stanford has some really interesting guidelines on their <laughs> yes. PhD topics. <laughs> <laughs> now, at first, it might seem like uh, it's weird to say that there's IR on this show because this is taking place during the sort of, I guess, peak of the Galactic Empire. But what the first half of Andor shows is that there, in fact, is international relations even in a universe or a galaxy without necessarily anarchy. So a lot of international relations scholarship, and indeed, if you ever take sort of intro to international relations, it's often positive that <laughs> anarchy is the... <laughs> 
fundamental assumption <laughs> guiding Sorry. IR? Yes. Might, you know, I guess there's online courses. You might. Yeah, you could. <laughs> I, look, I don't know. There could be... Our listeners could be going back to grad school on it. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the world. They might want to study right. international affairs. Right. Okay. Anyway, anarchy is often posited as sort of one of the fundamental assumptions. But actually, over the past you know two decades or so, there's been a lot of scholarship about the role of hierarchy in international relations. The idea that even if there is no overarching um, government, there is still often hierarchy in terms of structures. Uh, whether you're talking about David Lake's work or Asha Zasikal's work. Um, in international relations, and we absolutely see this in Andor. And indeed, again, it's not talked about too much, but it's just interesting enough to 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 pique me, I guess. One example is the relationship between sort of the Imperial Security Bureau and private security, Primor, which is an actor clearly designed to sort of manage lower level security threats because the Empire can't necessarily be anywhere, everywhere. Um, and so that's legitimately interesting. The role of the Galactic Senate as, at least at this point, remaining a somewhat modest check, which we know will eventually be disbanded, but still, they clearly act as a check at this point. There is also additional work on the nature of empires as distinct actors as compared to, let's say, sovereign states in, in politics. And this is an empire. And in contrast to the world of sovereign states, imperial actors have tons of asymmetric and differentiated relationships with their domains. Okay, pause. Well, yep. Dan. Go ahead. This has all been really good. Okay, but... Let's talk some... Let's bring it down a notch. Okay, sorry. Imperial actors have tons of asymmetric and differentiated relationships within okay. with their dominions. What I, I think is, maybe... Let's... Yeah, what is that? What is an asymmetric and differential relationship? Okay, fair enough. Relations? What I mean is, is that in contrast to a world... I am not an IR graduate okay. student, Dan. I'm sorry, Anna. You could be, though. Um, yeah, I, could. I, I keep trying to convince her. In contrast to, let's say, a world of sovereign states where everyone has, let's say, embassies in other countries, and even if there are power imbalances, the nominal relationships are relatively equal, empires very often have different relationships between, let's say, core provinces as opposed to, let's say, more outlawing um, peripheral actors. And indeed, the relationship with different peripheral actors is also heterogeneous. You might have close ties with one peripheral actor, whereas with another peripheral actor, you have to, you know, be much more directly in control. And we see this, for example, in, in current world politics in Russia, where, you know, Russia's relationship with various different republics within the Russian Federation looks different. Um, you know, so you have like a powerful warlord like um, Katarov, who is uh, the Chechen leader, you know, given more autonomy than, let's say, in other fiefdoms and what have you. And, and, and this is an example of what I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. which I did learn from you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> that empires are i learned to talk about it more wisely from mm. you but yes. that empires are hard to maintain yes they are particularly as they start to expand and that's actually one of the interesting phenomena i think we see in this show we see it in the empire taking over in ferrix because primor is not doing the job so you know the imperial security bureau has to do ever more in order to be able to maintain um, order. And we see this in terms of imperial relations with the Donnie, which again, I loved that in the last episode, just the dripping disdain that the imperial officers had towards the local population. And also the discussion of how they had managed to essentially, you know, displace the local population and, and were eventually planning on just sort of getting rid of them entirely. And it also shows how empires fall which is one reason is just through imperial overstretch. They wind up, as they expand, they inevitably are starting to try to annex or control populations that feel no loyalty whatsoever towards the metropole, um, as opposed to more core provinces. And also, 
the the less challenge empires have, the more corruption and the more lassitude there is. Mm-hmm. And this comes through most obviously in in sort of Cassian's uh, you know nice monologue to uh, to Luthen about why he can get away with what he can in terms of dealing with the empire. He says you know they're so fat and so you know so so confident and so forth. And we also see this again in the the imperial officer in charge of Aldani like you know we literally we literally see this fat and satisfied exactly fat and satisfied and and that was you know incredibly well done I know that's a lot but this show I think very well might have the most amount of IR in anything we've watched this entire year it was that exciting for me so I loved that and it breaks a sort of rule of thumb that people have posited about Star Wars IP which Mm -hmm. is that the the more intricate the IR and economics the worse the, the movie is. or product. Yes. No, and this is something that I had long been convinced of because the original trilogy, which is a really good movie making, has very simple politics. The the prequel actually has moderately interesting politics and is just awful. And I'm not even going to talk about the, the last trilogy. This actually <laughs> demonstrates, and again, props to Tony Gilroy, you can tell a good, exciting story and have legitimately interesting politics. So again, well done. I have a point of clarification. Yes. But I think I drew from what you were saying, which is that it sounds like expanding empires are actually more stable Um, to a degree. I would say that, well, very often empires that are expanding, usually it it indicates they have the power to do so. So right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's generally a sign of, of sort of growth. But there's always and I imagine the loyalty is less of an issue because you're able to, you know, distribute the spoils too. In theory, yes. I mean, and very often, like smarter empires to your people that are ruling over it. Right. Like that's. So I will say this: this is one area where, like, I was curious if they were going to go in this direction, and they clearly don't. Which is, smarter empires expand in no small part, usually by co-opting at least some element of the local population Mm -hmm. Um, and very often it's minority groups in the local population because that way and you see this in in british colonization of of africa for example where Mm -hmm. they will often you know ally with the the minority population they get better you know treatment um and as a result they wind up being much more loyal to the empire and furthermore they believe that unless the empire stays they will eventually be destroyed by the majority group we don't really see that in in this empire which might be why they only lasted for 20 years i guess um so you know not terrifically surprising i guess in that regard but yeah there's there is an element in which there are empires that can that can smartly expand by using not just brute force but also co-optation we don't really see that in the Star Wars universe. But, you know, again, really smart IR, which again leads me to a question that I have for you, Anna. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this show? Dan, there's fomenting out there. (laughs) Pockets of fomenting. (laughs) But I'm afraid we're going to have to make do with the pockets of fomenting until Nimick's manifesto can be Spread galaxy wide. Oh, the revolution comes. Yes, yes, yes. Now, is there a critique of capital? Nimic is literally crushed by capital. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at Nimic's demise, but that is a good line, Anna. Well literally. Well, so, well, well, good, well observed. There yes. you go. Yeah. And Dan, property is theft. Uh huh. Okay. So there is one school of thought that. In my punk rock days, I was a little more fond of, <laughs> which is that stealing is a revolutionary act, right? It's just yes. sort of Robin Hood writ real large. <laughs> <laughs> you know, shoplifting as not just sort of teenage rebellion, but fucking the man. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, Cassian is a thief. He and is. he even, he even, his speeches, and he is actually a thief, and he doesn't do it for ideological reasons now, no. right? But he is trying to fuck the empire. You he know, is. That's but part I, of it. But I think he also takes pride in the fact that he's a good thief. He's a good scavenger. You yeah. Know, is the way to think yeah. About it. yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think that there is something here about redistribution, yeah. you know, about like taking things from the power over you mm-hmm. feels really good, if nothing else. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to tell you that it, the, that phrase is a real phrase. People may have heard it before. I, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> and it comes from Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Proudhon? Oh, Proudhon, yeah. Proudhon, Proudhon. Uh, who is a French anarchist. Mm-hmm. The idea goes way back. Um, St. Ambrose actually uh, has a really good spin on it, which I like even better. The superfluous property which you hold, you have stolen, which oh. I think is, you know, uh, Latin for every billionaire is a policy failure. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another kind of fun fact about that idea is the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> Like had a, okay, I was not expecting you to it. go here. I'm intrigued, <laughs> Donna. Keep going. Yes. Uh, and here's a much longer sort of paragraph about this, but the money shot here, it would be tracing the right of property back to its source. One infallibly arrives at usurpation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, Rousseau actually talked about this a fair amount, which is the idea of any kind of ownership you're setting in motion some kind of crime and, and violence, the once you declare land to be owned. Hmm. So, and I, I, I think there is a little bit of that there, right? Yeah. Because there's it's clearly colonization of the Donnies and whatnot. Right. And again, by the way, we were, we were talking before about like good acting and so forth. I don't think any, any of the Donnies like say anything in English. There's very little dialogue from them, but like just watching them dealing with the, the Imperial officers, like, that's all you need. It, 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 like I was going to say when you talked about the uh, disdain that the imperial officers have for them, it's mutual. What makes yes. it great yeah. is the disdain that the Donnies have for them. Yes. So, yes. but I, I have to point out, you know, sometimes, sometimes I forget to, <laughs> which is that this piece of intellectual property exists in a universe that is capitalistic and that mm-hmm. this was made to make money. Yes. And. Regular listeners probably can guess Adorno would not like it. Um, <laughs> well, no, because it represents, like, in some ways, like, yes, Adorno would not like this because it's too good. Well, it's you're right. It, it's good, but I guess his career, you know, it'd be actually genuine. I often wonder what would Adorno think. Yes. Uh, <laughs> W-W-A-T, yes. And this would be an interesting one to get his opinion on because, you know, his basic thesis about mass cult and how we rely on these old stories and old tropes and old IP mm-hmm. is to kind of lull the populace to sleep. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you use old IP and it turns out to actually be intellectually stimulating? Yes. And dare I say almost revolutionary. Dare you say. Yes. Although there are limits of how revolutionary something can be if it exists in a society that's basically still capitalistic. Fair enough. So there. Okay. Wait. Oh, it's, oh I, I, it's an astronomical eye. event. It's the eye, Anna. It's the eye. Anna. It's the eye. The eye. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Yeah. <laughs> we just passed through. <laughs> I'm laughing at you doing pew, 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 because that was what Laura Dern had to do, kept doing apparently when she was like firing the laser blaster in, uh, in The Last Jedi. <laughs> It's the debris field. Yes. We, we could have been going through the eye. That's true. We could have been having some uh, TIE fighter pieces blown back at us. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, this is where we talk about the stuff we haven't already talked about. Believe it or not, there's always something. Yes. Dan? Not a ton, but a few things. First of all, again, with Cyril's mom, I, I literally typed out in my notes. So there are Jewish mothers in a galaxy far, far away. It's <laughs> like, you know, that, I'm sorry, I did, did scream that. Um, this is an advantage occasionally of watching the show with with closed captioning, closed captioning. Yes, big fan. You wouldn't have known this unless you watch it with the closed captioning, but the doctor that treats Nemec uh, and fails to do so is listed in the closed captioning as Dr. Quad Paw, which I just, that was just a good laugh line. I'm glad they gave him a name, even though like we, we're probably never going to see him again. Mark of a good show. We have talked about this yeah. in previous, you know, uh, episodes when we talk about what makes something good, yeah. but attention to, to detail. detail. Exactly. And so the idea that no one may know who that was, but they gave him a name. A name, yes. And a good name, Dr. Quad Pod, yeah. good name. Speaking of which, another mark of a good, good show. I'm not going to lie. At the end of the fifth episode, you see Val and Cinta break off because they've got a different role and we don't know what they're going to be doing. And I was really expecting that this was going to be a mission where, I don't know, they were going to use their feminine wiles. Like they were going to be like Donnie prostitutes trying to seduce the Imperial folks. It just, it, the gender breakdown made me think that. And they didn't go in that direction. And again, good on Andor for that. That was really like, refreshing and, and like legitimately surprising also just again the dialogue i you're right that 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 there aren't always just good lines it's good dialogue but but some of the lines are really good you know the premor officer saying uh security officer saying you know just tell me something sad but inspiring in a mundane sort of way uh, well that, what's great about that is it's it's the piece of corruption right yes, exactly. it's a really savvy corrupt officer yes exactly like who knows exactly what he needs to do to not have to work much yes he's the unsung hero and as far as i'm concerned it was yeah. i i respected him or, which is to create a situation which is to not investigate yeah but to because to be fair he knew why this had played out the way it had and so like mm -hmm. you know like in some ways weirdly i think he actually had the right sense of oh, justice he was, i think he was correct i yeah, mean yeah, like yeah. i mean justice is is good right. but I think that he would have served the empire better. Exactly. Yes. Had um, he covered it up. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. Or, you know, Skeen saying, I'm a rebel, you know, I'm a rebel, me against everyone else. And the Imperial commander at one point saying the Donnies have a rough appetite for fragrance. That's just a, a uh, I, I had, that was so racist. Like all of that stuff was so racist. It was racist, but like it was. It, that it, yeah. it really made my skin crawl because it's, because it's a lot of tropes of people that people white people say about people of color but in it was it, it it actually was perfect in sort of making you remember oh right this is an empire these right, people no, I are mean, yeah. it's in character and everything yeah, but yeah. i don't it just actually you know what i'm going to disagree that it's good dialogue because okay. like it is sort of spinning off of what are kind of cliched racist tropes perhaps okay that's and that, i think they're yeah. doing it intentionally yeah. I, I mean i'm sure they're doing it intentionally i'm sure he's supposed to come off like a bad guy yeah all of that but I didn't, I, meh, I didn't like it. Meh. One last point, which is we know from the last moments of, of the, the sixth episode that this, you know, the robbery clearly will have ripple effects. They're murmuring in the Galactic Senate about this. The Imperial Security Bureau is clearly going to be uh, investigating. I do kind of wonder if we are going to start having some cameos from the major Star Wars characters. And if so, I pray that they are just brief and we don't see them from here on in. Because I think one of the strengths of this show has been you know, beyond, I guess, Cassian and Mon Mothma, we really don't have a lot of, of, you know, connection to the overall Star Wars universe, as Tony Gilroy says. And I agree with you. I think so far that's been a strength of the show. Forrest Whitaker, I think, is... Right, Saw Gerrera, yeah. We, I think I've seen yeah. that he's going to be in it. Yeah. But that's fair. That was in Rogue One. That's entirely consistent. Yeah. 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 
I'm talking so about. Me, I'm talking about on Coruscant. Oh. Like, I, what I'm curious about is, are we going to see Vader or the Emperor or oh, no, Grand Moff no, no, Tarkin no. or anything like that? I, I, I don't think Tony Gilroy is that cutesy. Right. Like, live, and it's fine, by the way, if we just say the Emperor has ordered us to look into this. That's fine. They don't need to show. Them. That'll be good. I actually, yeah. and that would be consistent. That's all I'm saying. I, I think we both ha- have expressed the idea before that it's, it's very interesting to see how an empire actually works. Right. And right. it's, it's and amazing how much detail they got into this show. I'm, I'm legitimately impressed by that. We haven't even talked about the great, really the great scenes um, uh, with the guy who played the maester in Great Game of Thrones, security guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who says yeah. security is an illusion. Right, yes. Oh, that was what great. What we are as healthcare providers. Yes, that, oh, that was a fantastic line. I forgot. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yes, I was squeeing at that line. It was well Yeah, done. it's very good. Yeah. Uh, I will point out, since you didn't, mm-hmm. this show had your very favorite form of representation. <laughs> which is? Which is, it doesn't attract attention to it. Okay. <laughs> which is because Cinta and Vel, Vel are a couple. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not really anything. Yeah. And I know that that's your favorite way of having people represented. So it, it depends on the, the the context, but in this case, yes, I think that was like then you, it was it, that was appropriate that, for yes, this, exactly. and it's fine. Yeah, and yeah. you know, although it is interesting in the context of the toxic fandom, yeah. like yeah, how that how that if anyone noticed actually, <laughs> it was very subtle. Actually, I mean, like it's talked about. Like there's like two lines of dialogue, but other than that, not much. Yeah, yeah. And then alas, poor Nimic. <laughs> yes, you know. We barely knew him, and he he really, I was hopeful that he would survive because it is interesting to kind of get the idealist's mm-hmm. evolution. Right, and as I said, one of the things, I, that was the reason why I really, I think I liked the, the conversation between Nemec and Cassian the most, mm-hmm. because it's a believer versus, Cassian's a pretty cynical guy at this point, and like just... You know, watching the way they played off each other, it was just incredibly well done. And I also appreciated that it was an idealistic believer who's not an asshole or a goody two-shoes. Right. And uh, who doesn't actually try to recruit Cassian, really. No. In fact, like, it, he what he does is he sort of rationalizes again. He rationalizes like, yeah, we can use mercenaries in, in the rebellion. Oh, he's okay he's correct. Yeah, it's exactly. not rationalization. It's com- he's completely correct. Right. And also it's a res- it's a it's I think of it sort of like any proselytizing, right? Mm-hmm. When you have a heavy hand with it, it's it, ineffective. Exactly. It's, it, it actually winds up working against you, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Yes. Um, I will say that the YouTube shows I watch that break this down have uncovered tons of Easter eggs that you and I, since we don't read the books or the comics or the games, we don't, we don't know and we didn't see. And I know that there are listeners of ours who are more super fan types than we are Mm -hmm. and so probably could share with us all the different little easter eggs and references i look forward to seeing this in the discord on it but how wonderful is it that we don't have to know that stuff to still we still think it's really really good yes yeah so next week futurama ah okay fine I don't know what my resistance to it is. I'm a huge Simpsons fan. I was going to say, like, I, you know, you got to come at this with an open mind, Anna. Yes. I will. Okay, I will. Good. I will. And, and then... Butler member! 
I I am excited for Butler Vimber. I yes. really, really am. <laughs> <laughs> So am I, Anna. Should we tell people to listen to the Geostorm episode of How Did This Get Made just to, so we can be like, that's really good and we're going to do something different? Well, I think that sets the bar. Like, we, we need to do yeah. something different. And yes, I, I would agree. Yes. It's a great episode of How Did This Get Made with Jason Mansukas. <laughs> My weird celebrity crush, really, like... He's he's just so funny. He is. He is. He makes me <laughs> and laugh. And so mean at the same t- and yet not. Like you have this idea that like he's, he's actually, cheerfully mean like, is the thing. He's like He's cheerfully mean yes. and you have this idea that inside he's actually a total, you know, softy. Teddy bear. Right? Exactly. Teddy yes. bear. Yeah. But until next time, Dan, keep this channel open for more.